The Chicago Bears traveled to Minnesota and lost in a tight one, 22-29, but oh boy, they were close to coming back. I bring on Locked On Bears' Lauren Cox to help me break down a game where fields certainly look to flash in this episode of Bear With Me. What's going on, everybody, and welcome back to Bear With Me, a Chicago Bears podcast hosted by yours truly, Robert Schmitz, right here on the Windy City Gridiron podcasting channel. And I got a treat for you guys today as I've brought in Locked On Bears' Lauren Cox, and we are here to break down the Bears' 22-29 to gut-wrenching loss. You could even say, Lauren, it slipped through their fingers. How you feeling after this one? The wind was yanked out of their hands right <laughs> near the sideline when they could have gone out of bounds. It was, yeah, that's it's one of those games where we're gonna we're gonna remember the last play or the last meaningful play. But there's so much more to take away from this game, and certainly a lot to wonder about what could have been had number 17 there goes out of bounds and uh, the drive continues for Justin Fields. Stunning decision, honestly, from ISM, because not only was going out of bounds presented right there to him once he shucked the tackle, but then obviously to fumble the ball away, that that just made it hurt a little bit more. But, I mean, I don't want to break out the word moral victories. You and I talked about this on the pre-show, but I will say there was a point in this game where the Bears had given up touchdowns on all three drives. They'd forced maybe one third down maybe two third downs but nothing they put next to no pressure on Kirk Cousins he'd completed 18 passes in a row at least 10 of them to the one guy who wasn't supposed to catch any balls if you could if you could have chosen a defensive game plan and the offense didn't even necessarily look like they could line up make a check at the line of scrimmage and not snap the ball on accident I mean everything was going wrong on the or in this first half and to see the bears gut check to find it to go for it on fourth down get a fourth down to try the onside kick to try the two point conversion to get aggressive we've we saw big steps up from a lot of players i thought we saw the defensive scheme find itself and adjust well in the second half the offense obviously pulled themselves together again lauren it's the first year of a new head coaching staff. So I understand there are tons of Bears fans that have been here a lot longer than Matt Eberflus has that don't want to hear about moral victories, but this could have been so, so much worse. And to get to the end of the game with a legitimate shot at tying it and feeling the way that drive was going, like the Bears might have just found a way, that's a good spot. Certainly much better than where the Steelers are today with an emphatic beating at the hands of the Bills. Yeah, it's, it was a weird game where it's like obviously everything was so bad in the first half and things were turning around in the second half. And yet, you know, at the end of the game there, the Vikings had, what was it, a 17-play, 75-yard scoring drive mm-hmm. that took seven minutes off the clock? Like, like that's the kind of drive that ends games, that finishes games and puts you out at the very end. And yet, you know, the Bears were still able to sort of bounce back from that and drive with some momentum and some confidence. Like, okay, they can still move the ball and maybe just maybe Fields can be the hero again here. But, yeah, obviously I think – the short-term impact is always the loss, but the long-term impact is so much more positive. And call you call that a moral victory, I, I guess. But like, great growth from Justin Fields, and you mentioned it there, aggressiveness from the coaching staff. That felt like progress to me too. That so often they would go conservative in every possible situation, and there was still that third and three handoff that went nowhere. That they ended up settling for the field goal, and then there's always going to be you know slices of that conservatism still sitting in there but like they also had a, a handoff uh, on third down earlier in the game that went for like 20 to david montgomery like they had like those do still have some productive plays but going forward on fourth down and, and pushing for a two-point conversion there like that felt like some some progress and some learning from last week when maybe going so conservative still cost them against the giants which again like short term didn't move the needle but long term felt like steps in the right direction absolutely and hey i'll even go to bat for the coaching staff a little bit if you're if you're mentioning the third and three that i'm thinking you are the run up the gut which was it felt incredibly uninspiring it looked like fields checked to it so i don't know what call they had in it's it's very easy within an, any system inside the NFL to mistake a play call for an audible and an audible for a play call. And so there is a degree of this that we look at and we say, well, we can't really know. But we do, Lauren, we would be remiss if we didn't at least start by talking about all the bad stuff so that we can oh, get yeah. to the good stuff. I think there is good stuff to talk about. But let's let's talk about the first half. We can start by talking about the offense. 
everything felt disjointed. I mean, Kari Blazing game runs on the field a full 20 to 25 seconds late and forces a delay of game. The Bears find their way down the field. Sure, David Montgomery in particular, I don't know. I don't know what back to tank he's like spending time in to recover from some of these injuries the way that he is but he came out and made a sweet jump cut that would have ripped my knee off and for that first 30 yard screen like he's unbelievable and the bears end up with some good plays sure but an opportunity that i think everybody saw from space for justin fields and darnell mooney to catch or connect for their first touchdown of the season that went awry when you watched that play and other plays like it how how much blame are you assigning to fields versus offensive disjointedness obviously when we look at plays or teams like the denver Broncos goes and plenty more than just Denver, Chicago and others. There's a lot of offenses that are still working out the kinks. Yes, even 5 weeks into the season, but when you see something like that that either looks like a miscommunication or a horrific throw. It's one of the two. Where does your head go? Yeah, I mean, obviously each example kind of has its own dynamics, but like, you know, like the, the end zone throw to <clears throat> the end zone throw to Mooney, excuse me. Um, you know, he's she's like he's trying to throw it back shoulder there and it's kind of a tight area of the field to, to throw to and is, is Mooney expecting it to be that far back shoulder you know is it is that Fields putting it where he wanted it to be and, and Mooney not adjusting as much as Fields thought he would or was that Fields letting it get away from him just a little bit and putting it a little bit too far behind Mooney because I mean I do understand Mooney is not a big bodied receiver so you don't want to necessarily make it a pure like vertical 50-50 jump ball so you put it behind Mooney as far as you can while still being in play to not give the DB a shot at it so like I don't I don't hate the, the thought process there from from fields, but was that Mooney not getting far enough back shoulder? Like or was there too much contact at the top of that where he's trying to work back to it? Or is that just fields not getting the ball exactly where he wanted to? Or you get into like the, that second drive after the, the the aborted play where Mustafer snapped it too early and then he's trying to throw that quick out to Mooney and Blasingame sort of over there and it's way behind him and probably should have been picked off. And it's like that doesn't seem like that's where Fields intended the ball to be mm-hmm. that far behind Darnell Mooney. So was that a miscommunication? Was the route not at the right depth, or was it was it cut too early, or did he just just that was just like did he lose a good slip on it? Like I I just I we don't have good answers, especially not without the all twenty two. But even with the all twenty two, I'm not sure that we're gonna have great answers on on either of those plays. So it's like I I certainly don't find myself saying like oh man, what is Fields doing? Right? It's not poor <laughs> decision making. It's more just like is that is that throwing mechanics putting the ball not where he wants it to be, or is that just miscommunication with the receivers? And either way. It doesn't feel like something I need to be like super long term concerned about, like him making some kind of mental mistake. Exactly. And I mean, then at that point, Lauren, I feel like you start to stare at the statistics and wonder, okay, how do we get out of this hole? Like, I'm sure you've thought about it just as well as I have. You can't keep faith in a young quarterback forever and past a certain point continuing to put in halves of sub 50 yards passing especially when 30 of those yards came off of a screen gets really worrying so when fields made what i think was just a pure physical mistake and left the ball probably about i think about a foot too high for dante pettis on what looked like a cover two hole shot we don't have the all 22 we don't know uh and pettis had both hands on it and dropped it. But Pettis is a replacement level player, so I'm not necessarily expecting replacement level players to make starting level catches. So it, it it goes both ways. It's like I've seen plenty of receivers make that kind of catch. For Justin Jefferson, who's literally just taller, like it's an easy catch. But for Dante Pettis, it's an extremely hard catch that he made look impossible and certainly didn't come down with it. So is that a field's mistake? I mean, maybe. Do quarterbacks make physical mistakes all the time? All the time. Lauren, you turn on any game, and whether it's Patrick Mahomes, whether it's Aaron Rodgers, whether it's Tom Brady, especially lately with Tom Brady, like people will miss left, right, low, high for about a foot to two feet, and the receiver will just adjust and go get the ball. But when Justin Fields is sitting there at like 30-some-odd yards, I think it was 34 uh, on six attempts, you start to get a little worried. And then Darnell Mooney came through with one of the best catches I've seen in a Bears uniform since Marty Booker hauled in a really bad ball by Kyle Orton years ago. What did you think when that happened live? Because I could barely yeah. believe it. Yeah, it, w- it was a nice reminder of like, oh, yeah, Darnell Mooney is really good. In case you had any doubt, like it was nice to like really see like special playmaking ability when the team needed it most. My second thought was, did that was that a route that 
needed to be a spectacular catch? Like if, if you could, like, was that a reflection of the quality of the pass? Right. I mean, like is, is a more accurate ball there more easily caught? And I don't want to take anything away from an absolutely great play by Darnell Mooney when they needed it the most, but like in that same context of like fields has been just a, you know, a half a yard off in any direction on some of those throws in the first half, struggling to get fully into rhythm there. I, I, Mooney, Mooney made it a miraculous completion for fields, but I wonder if a more accurate ball would not have required such a miraculous catch. And of course, some of those concerns were alleviated in the second half when the rhythm really got going. Absolutely. And I mean that, thank goodness for the second half through that capacity, we can touch on it a little. We'll come back later, but I will say Lauren that it's so funny because in the same game, we got a nice reminder that when you're out of rhythm, there are a lot of throws that are just going to be off. Maybe it tense up a little bit. Maybe you don't release things quite as freely. You're not feeling that flow of the game, but then you get a couple completions and suddenly, I mean, I'm sure you saw it. There was even a play in the second half where fields had yet another unblocked rusher bearing down on him. And this time we saw him just lean really, really far to the right and sidearm the ball around the rusher to get the ball to Equinamia St. Brown. And Hey, these things are only like wide receiver flare out screens for six yards. But the difference between second and 10 and second and four is massive in a 10 yard first down league. And so it's, it's cool seeing that these, when, when the offense can get a couple of completions for fields, he really can start to lock on and hit or hit big throws at all levels of the field. Even if, Hey, are some of them coming out late? It would be unfair to say they're not, but we got to take these things one step at a time. And I, for one, am certainly excited to just see any decisiveness because a big play from Donald Mooney, that sparked the Bears' first touchdown drive. Do we need to mention the fact that the offense called a third and eight on, uh, or like a run on third and eight and just happened to get in the end zone with it? Or do you think a zone read there was a call you'd make again? Yeah, I, that's another one of those like, you were concerned about the conservative play calling situation there. Like there's as much as they were more aggressive in this game, there were those flashes of it where it worked on that third and eight. It didn't work as well on the third and three, but you know, whether or not that was fields making the check at the line of scrimmage or whether that was the call on the sideline, we, we I need to go back and, and see what the, what the reaction <laughs> was there. But yeah, you know, it, it, it's a lot of trust in David Montgomery as clearly their best weapon. Well, or so we thought until Darnell Mooney was making these miraculous catches, but the running game being the strength of this offense largely this season, but not as much in this game. And to me, that was growth as well that, Hey, like it's not, not growth that the running game was struggling, but that the offense was still able to put up points despite Montgomery averaging 1.7 yards per carry when it was all said and done. And Herbert only at 2.8. I mean, as a team, the running backs were sub three yards per carry and, and fields was your leading rusher. And that didn't even include the 52 yard touchdown run that was called back. So the offense felt more whole, felt more dynamic. It felt more well-rounded, and and that that certainly that certainly showed itself in the second half too. No kidding. I mean, for crying out loud! It so I, a lot of people talked about this on Twitter leading into the game, but the Vikings' defense is just not very good at stopping the pass. I mean, they don't rush the passer well. They don't cover receivers well. They give up a lot of yards per cat or per pass. I believe they were giving up seven point seven four yards per pass entering the game. So. Being able to pass the ball should have been a given, but all the same, you take the rush away from the Bears, and you might as well have put both of their arms behind their back at that point, the way that they've been playing this season. So to what you're saying, the fact that they were able to then call a bunch of pass plays all the same and actually generate 22 points of fair-earned offense. I mean, these weren't crazy short fields. These were finding a way to get into the end zone, even with some nifty play calling like the Valus Jones end around for a touchdown. So you got to give some credit or at least tip the cap to this is a much better like this this today was a much more encouraging day in my opinion than the 23 to 20 win over the Texans where everything about the passing offense looked abysmal because if the Bears running attack which what running attack is perfect gets taken away from them and the ball is in fields hands this was the kind of game to make you feel like hey maybe they're not completely dead in the water and that's honestly really nice Bear, the Bears took it's two sacks, right? It was two sacks on the day? I believe so. Must have yeah. dropped back about 20 times, so not a ton. But uh, two out of 20 dropbacks 
is a much better sack rate at just 10%, which is too high still. But, you know, it's better than the 25% that they've been building on. So we started we started seeing some progress, and we have to talk before we, leave, or before we get fully positive, Lauren, about the other bummer of the day. I thought the defense in those first three drives, like – it wasn't just that the Bears didn't have a ton of talent on the field. I did not think the scheme helped them look any better than they were. Where it, the worst thing that I could say about the defense, and I'm curious to hear what you think, is that it felt like, not that Adam William, or Alan Williams was putting them in position to fail, per se, but that a lot of it really was, okay, Jalen Jones, can you beat the man across from you? And when the man across from you is Justin Jefferson, the answer is an emphatic no. And that was resounding for the first 25 minutes of the game. Yeah, it it didn't it just didn't feel like they were helping them, right? Like maybe they weren't hurting them specifically, but yeah, I mean I felt like there were seven or 10 targets on Jalen Jones, not just against Justin Jefferson, but in that first half it was over and over and over again to wherever Jalen like you know they'd even put Jalen Jones on the other side of the field, you know, they'd go field and boundary side sometimes and like they would still find where he was and throw to the receiver nearest to him. Like they they clearly saw that as as the matchup to go after and it was working. And I was surprised they didn't do more of it in, in the second half. I mean, when we'll get to that in a little bit. It was hard to tell exactly what adjustments the Bears made there, but a lot of just lining up and showing you what they're going to do and a lot of single high coverages because I think they wanted to stop Dalvin Cook. And they did a better job of that, I thought, in the first half. That There were times when he was able to escape and get free, but he's still there were a few of those drives where they stopped him in the backfield a few times and, and put the Vikings in some longer down and distance situations. But then the Bears were playing so far off in coverage and so predictable in coverage that the passing game was able to overcome a lot of what they were doing in that regard. So it was it was a tough mix. And when you combine a lack of pass rush on some of those plays as well, there was just no answers for what the Vikings were doing. And that's how he goes with 17-17 to start the game. Yeah, it was either 17-17, 18-18. I don't know what Cousins eventually got to, but there was a point where my own father texted me. He was like, I'm sorry that I ever raised you to be a Bears fan, and I don't <laughs> know if there's ever been a game where a quarterback never had an incompletion, but we might be pushing for it. And it's like things were dire. All across the board. I mean, you talked about scheme. I agree. I mean, the Bears defense was, at least in my opinion, showing fairly static looks. I mean, Lauren, we have seen so many different tools all across different defenses. Disguises, man match principles, mug pressures, simulated pressures, blitzes. I mean, not all of these need to be newfangled necessarily, but the Bears were lining up in very static linebacking looks just with two to three linebackers off the line of scrimmage in standard position. And if they had one high safety with corners playing off, it was cover three. If they had one high safety with corners playing press, they were in cover one. I mean, these were the predictable high school textbook looks that if you were going to write a book about like coverage 101, you'd show a bunch of these and be like, that's cover one. That's cover two. That's cover three. And then at one point they rolled uh, from cover three to cover two, and they finally got Kirk to hesitate for the first time all game, but, well, it's just vanilla cover two. So he found the cover two seam and fit the ball to Justin Jefferson, who was wide open for a third down conversion. I mean, it it's not necessarily, like, don't get me wrong, I don't think the world of Justin Jones or necessarily the Bears' defensive line, but it did feel like all of the modern things that we've seen so many different people popularize and certainly that we saw Sean Desai and Vic Fangio uh, experiment heavily with over the last couple of years had just vanished in that first drive and that we couldn't have made things any easier for a Vikings offense. And hopefully we don't see shades of that again, you know? Yeah, it kind of speaks to this idea of like how the Bears just struggle out of the gate to stop what seems to be predictably coming from the other team. Like the Vikings, are, we knew exactly what the Vikings would try and do offensively. And the bears just didn't, they, they seem to like the, the plan seems to be like, okay, we're going to start the game doing like our defense, the way we, we want their sort of like plain regular defense. And then we'll see what they do against us and then change up our defense to match that. Like there's not that proactive coming in saying, right. We have a pretty good idea what they're going to do. And here's what we can start with to counter that in advance more. It's like, we're going to play our game and see if they can beat us. And then, okay, they're beating us. Let's change <laughs> our game now and make sure that they stop beating us. And it's like, well, why not be the, why not take the, the first, that, that step at the beginning before waiting to see how your more vanilla stuff is going to play out? Because, right. you know, it's predictable. Right. I mean, that was a sweet, just, just an answer. Like that was a great example of the way that I feel like the coaching staff is adjusting. Look, I am not a huge fan of running a defense that was popularized in 2005. 
I mean, it's not that I feel like we need to be bleeding edge in everything, but I am a capital N nerd, and I like running modern, trendy, hip defenses, you know? But within that, I gotta give Eberflus some flowers, and maybe it's Alan Williams as well. The It feels to me like they do a great job tailoring the defense like you're saying halfway through the game they say okay when they line up three by one detached you are going to do this when they do this like when they try to go under on you pass it take the other guy like we're we're attaching this to that coverage we're going to tailor that coverage we're going to take our cover two we're going to run it a little bit differently when they put justin jefferson on this side of the field like they did a really good job of that and I can't wait to see what goes on in the All-22 because I do think the results kind of speak for themselves. The Vikings scored three extremely easy touchdowns and got eight points the rest of the way off of one drive. And not to mention a sweet takeaway by Kendall Vildor. I mean, how has anybody else looked better or like taken the step that Kendall Vildor has on this defense? Because he went from fans wanting to cut him immediately to honestly... He looks like a starter. I mean, that was a really wonderful jump in off of the off of like a standard cover two scenario where it looked like Vildor just saw it, read it, and made a play. What'd you see? Yeah, no, exact same thing. Like on the replay, like Vildor's that that they're, they're rolling towards Vildor's side, and he he turns his back to the sideline, and he's he's like looking towards the middle of the field. He's like, oh, I've had this rollout thrown at me. You know, it was twenty times against the Giants, and now another fifteen <laughs> against the Vikings. It's, I'm starting to figure out that when they're all rolling this way, I, he's going to try and throw back to this this intermediate crossing route. So he just he literally like turned and basically like abandoned his zone and was just like here here they come. Are you going to throw the ball to him because I know where you're going to go with this? And Cousins never saw him coming across the middle of the field. I, I said the same thing on Twitter. Like has has there been a more improved player on the Bears from last year than Kendall Vildor? And and someone said Eddie Jackson, and I'm like like I guess. He had, he's been better, but like we knew what Eddie Jackson was capable of before. For him, it was like it's getting back to it's it's returning, and, and for Vildor, it's it's growth, right? Like who's right. grown the more? I don't think it's growth from Jackson. It's 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 getting back to where he was. But like Vildor is the player that, like you said, did not belong on the field last season. He just didn't have better options. And this year, like especially with with Jalen Johnson out, he's probably your best cornerback right now. And that's not that not that it's a huge bar with two other rookies, but like. There's real progress there that, that has been fun to watch. Oh, yeah. And, I mean, I am a massive Eddie Jackson fan and have been even through the hard times. Like, I, I think Eddie Jackson's phenomenal in coverage. There's an aspect of when you say Eddie Jackson improved. I'm like, I mean, he did. Don't get me wrong. But mostly fans' opinion of him improved. Like yeah. where Eddie has really taken a step forward is that he's fitting the run so much better than I have ever seen him in his career. I mean, even in this game, I'm sure you saw it. He had like five minimum tackles where it was him or nobody. And he made a Superman tackle to bring a running back down, which for a safety is absolutely insanely hard. If you're late to get to that running back, the running back has the whole field to beat you with. But Eddie would get down there and cut the man down about 10 yards post line of scrimmage, which again, is that a great play for the offense? Well, it's a good play that got limited by solid safety play. Like his run defense has been awesome. His coverage though, always been good at that. I mean, the problem that I feel like they had last year was to pick on Vildor. There were well, there were plenty of other options on where to throw the ball. Any quarterback didn't have to look at four for years because yeah. you could just find Kittle Vildor, find Duke Shelley, find Tashawn Gibson, find <laughs> literally anybody else you wanted to on this defense and yeah. throw the ball that way. With it, with this, I mean, the Bears were competitive against a good Vikings team that I think if... Look, the other way to say this, Lauren, that I do think is funny before we head to the break, is there any more, like, Vikings kind of game than this? Oh where the Vikings are finally showing to be the team that everybody expects them to be, and they almost gave the game away to a team with $62 million in dead cap. To blow that 21-3 lead the way they did, like even though they won that game, this that's an embarrassing game for the Minnesota Vikings, but probably <laughs> the most embarrassing win they've had this season. They were, they were trying so hard to unseat the Packers for the biggest NFC North collapse of the day, but unfortunately... 
they they weren't able to they weren't able to finish their they didn't go full Vikings they only went mostly full Vikings right exactly I mean I couldn't help but think that there was a point where somebody was like this game is so Bears and I was like this game is so Vikings like if it's anything it's very Vikings for them to suddenly be staring down especially once they had that field goal blocked I was like this is how Vikings games go I've I've been around this team for too long not to know a Vikings game when I see one. And I'll take it all the same. I mean, we've got to go to the commercial, but when we come back, we've got a lot of fun to talk about here in this second half. At least I think so. So I'll talk to you on the other end for now. Let's get let the sponsors get their word in. And we are back with Bear With Me. I'm here with Lauren Cox from Locked On Bears talking now about a very fun second half. It felt like the Bears came out swinging. I mean, we saw a quick score. We saw a two-point conversion. We saw an onside kick. Lord, what do you think changed? Like, what was the adjustment? Because it felt like the Bears went from, we don't know how to do anything, to, okay, now we're not only running successful plays, but we're passing the ball and winning through the air. What shifted? I can't wait to look at the all 22 to see more specifically defensively, but it did feel like, especially on that side of the ball, the pass rush for whatever reason was, was working better. I mean, certainly in run defense, we saw them stunting more and getting guys exchanging lanes and not just sort of lining up and playing your gaps, but finding ways to sort of get into the backfield that way. And defensively, I don't know that they blitzed like an, a, a, an absurd amount, but it felt like more than in the first half. Like I remember uh, there, were, there was a play where they brought uh, like Kyler Gordon off the left side and Robert Quinn dropped back into coverage from the defensive line. Or there were a few times when I'd see a linebacker running after the quarterback in the backfield. Like the pass rush was coming from different places. Cause so often in the first half, it's like you got your four down linemen and, and the linebackers and cornerbacks are all in a line five yards off the line of scrimmage. And there's no mystery where the pass rush is going to come from and when you know who those four pass rushers are, also which pass rushing lanes they're going to occupy. It was pretty much just four guys straight up rushing upfield, trying to win their, well, you know, four one-on-ones and a double team or three one-on-ones and a double team. And this is not a defensive line that is is good enough to be able to do that. But it felt like in the second half, more twists, more stunts, more, you know, roll like a blitz off one side and dropping back on the other where it's not even a, you know, you're not sending the house or anything. You're just changing where the coverage players are and where the pass rushers are in a way that's much less predictable for Kirk Cousins and that offense. And we, we've known for a long time, I mean, every every quarterback struggles with pressure, but Kirk Cousins especially, when you can get him off of his spot and disrupt that rhythm, he crumbles quite a bit. And we saw more of that on those drives, with the exception of that final 17-play drive at the end of the fourth quarter where things got rolling a little bit more in the running game for them too, and it kind of opened things up that way. But like, it felt like progress in that regard. And then I think the aggressiveness offensively to you know to do the, the two, to do the two-point conversion, to do the onside kick, to say, we 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 have some trust in you, Justin Fields. Like to show it with their actions, not just their words at press conferences. I wonder if there's a psychological side of Justin saying, like, where he knows, like, okay, we're doing the onside kick, like we're going after this. We're not just handing the ball off or throwing a tight end screen on third and fifteen. Like we're actually gonna open things up and push this a little bit more and say, let's go out and score because we're down eighteen. We don't have any other choice. Yep. And my favorite part about it was, so there was somebody in my Twitter mentions that quickly said, why would you do that? Their offense is killing you. I was like, that's why you would do that. Their offense is killing you. If you get the onside kick, I mean, you are you don't have to see their offense. You put your offense right back on the field. And hey, I will give that kick tons of credit. It wasn't even badly executed. The Bears came a few blades of grass shy to being the first team to the ball, and footballs are notorious for how bizarrely they bounce, especially in onside kick scenarios. I will take it, and it's it's fun. It's fun watching this team slowly find its identity, and will they be able to continue that against, I mean, now granted, I'll be the first to tell you, I don't, I don't actually know a darn thing, Lauren, about the Commanders. I just have not gotten there yet. <laughs> So I don't like. Are, is their defense good? Do you know off the top of your head? I mean, they got they got some. They, their defensive line's not bad, but as as a whole, they're they're not a good football team. Yes. Carson Wentz, Carson Wentz went full Carson Wentz today, and as expected, he's Carson Wentz. Wentz. He threw three interceptions <laughs> on the last drive. Only one of them was caught, but like he was, they had they had the chance to go down, and it was, it was rough. So it's a short week turnaround, but I do think there's a lot to carry into that game. And and with, given how the Bears played in the second half of this one. You got to think they can ride that into Thursday night football. And that's certainly my hope because the Bears came off of this sizzling. I mean, sizzling hot, Lauren. Not only was the offensive line pretty awesome throughout most of the game. Again, 
Was the is the Vikings pass rush and Daniil Hunter and the rest like conventionally good? No, but it doesn't matter when we're talking about fifth round rookie or like fifth round rookie Braxton Jones. When we're talking about the guy who gave up eight pressures last week in Sam Mustafer. When we're talking about Larry Borum, who's a fifth round pick himself, there is no bar that is necessarily too low for them to or for us to say, okay, he had a good game. But, I mean, it's, again, like, are they playing Khalil Mack? Not necessarily. Are they playing Nick Bosa? Definitely not. But NFL starters are NFL starters at offensive line, and they've struggled. I don't want to say they've struggled against less, but they've certainly struggled. And so to see them come off of, I believe the statistics were, uh, Fields ended up 12 for 13 for 130 some odd yards he had another six rushes with a td or like a touchdown run coming off the board that was i mean there there's more than likely going to be somebody out there that makes the comparison to mitch's run against the cowboys and i thought this one looked like to me fields broke many more tackles not that we have to like make everything a comparison that directly but this was one of those oh shoot he can play kinds of runs at the nfl level you know I was I, I was thinking about this like how many quarterbacks in the NFL can make that 52 yard touchdown run like right away Lamar Jackson and I I overlooked Kyler Murray initially because he's very easy to overlook physically very small but like <laughs> other other than those two and, and it's Justin and I don't know maybe Jalen Hurts but that I mean I can't think of anybody else somebody said Josh Allen but I don't think he's fluid enough he's got some he's got wheels but I don't think the way that Justin could change direction at full speed and just sort of like weave and slip through defenders that way. I, I don't think just, just Josh Allen can move quite like that. So Lamar for sure. Kyler Murray, I'm willing to give. Jalen Hurts, maybe. But maybe. that's it. We're talking one of four quarterbacks in the NFL makes that play. And Justin is one of them. The only, the only name, I saw somebody mention this in the comments. I have to bring it up because it's hilarious. If Daniel Jones is full health, sometimes you never know with that guy. I mean, he <laughs> yeah. he seems to just pull magic out of who knows where every once in a while. And then he'll remind you he's Daniel Jones. But all the same, I mean, for that to be in Fields' bag is wild. And there's frankly an even more important run that I want to highlight or a two-play series where the Bears are – they are, if memory serves, it was like third and nine, third and ten. I can't remember. Uh, I'm not an encyclopedia, unfortunately. But it was third and nine at like the 40-yard line. Fields drops back in the pocket, doesn't like what he sees, kicks the ball into the Flat took the check down to Cole Kmet. Cole Kmet gets tackled for a five-yard gain. It's fourth and four. The Bears go for it. Fields doesn't like what he sees, pulls the ball down, picks up the yards, and Lauren dives head first to avoid a hit. That's great. Like, it there's was- a bunch of the context-y semantics of this game that are really fun as far as watching Fields progress because he took less hits. He's starting to take what the defense sees in front of him. He's still a little late on some of his reads, like the throw that he had on Dagger to Equinamia St. Brown, the first big one that he uncanned that was really pretty looking. I mean, it's not a surprise to me that when he cut, or that when Equinamius broke at the hashes, roughly, that Fields still didn't get the ball to him until he had a couple steps to get out of bounds. It's not even me necessarily trashing him, Lauren. It's more saying that I expect an offense full of a lot more drags and crossers because it's impossible to be laid on a crosser right the guy just keeps running and theoretically if your quick guy has separation he could be open the entire way across the field until you finally get it to him and timing's a little less important but all the same like i i thought that there as we wait for fields's processor to slowly start to catch up to kind of find it a little bit it was Really fun watching him throw strikes from the pocket. And did my eyes deceive me, Lauren, or did he step up a few times? Like, he's clearly taking coaching. That was my biggest takeaway from this game, I think, was how well he was able to feel pressure in the pocket and step up or step around without always having to go full scramble mode. Like, like So often it's like, pressure, got to go. Get out of the pocket, escape, run, run, run. Yes. And like... Sometimes that is very necessary in the case. And he did that a few times this game, but I felt like every time he did it, it was very, very necessary. There weren't those plays where he's leaving a pocket. And I want to confirm in the all 22, but leaving a pocket that's not actually any pressure. Like he just feels an offensive lineman back up and then anchor and recover. But he thinks that's pressure. I got to leave when he could have stayed in or just stepped up and around and three or four or five times this game, like pressures there. He just steps up and around. It stays in the pocket and delivers a throw. And like that, is what I've been waiting 17 games. I think this was 16 or 17th game of his career. Like I've been waiting for that, that step forward. And I, I think a lot of it was a result of four man rushes and not 
blitzing from the Vikings defense that helped him know, okay, I generally have a feel for where these pass rushers are coming from. You know, they're, they're not like up in my face necessarily. Like it's, it's a little bit more of a controlled chaos in the pocket where the tackles coming over here. I know I can just step up and not think there's going to be a fifth or a sixth rusher coming from somewhere else to get in my face and, and hit me when I, when I try and still stay in that pocket. So I, I really thought that was such important progress from fields in an area that has been on the weaker side of his, of his skill set that I'm really curious to see how well that translates into future games. If other teams start blitzing him more and try and get him off the spot a little bit more, will he, will he get in his head and just every time there's a blitz, it's like read one read and then get out of the pocket. Or will he be able to withstand that and stay in there and continue to show that progress? Absolutely. And I mean, Lauren, let's be humans for a second. If there's something that I think is outrageously hard for fields right now, it's that his, feedback system right normally you make a mistake you correct the mistake and then you experience success that's like the standard human way of going about things i don't know how to ride a bike okay i need to put my feet on the pedals i need to pedal as hard as i can right what after i or like oh that didn't work okay i need to push the bike off so that it's initially rolling and then i pedal the pedals okay that worked now i know how to ride a bike right? The problem Fields is having, at least if I'm seeing it, because there's a play second and eight in the early part of the game where Fields uh, looked downfield, didn't necessarily find anything. This is one where they were in the red zone. He rolled out to his left. Somebody attacked down on him. He tried to throw the ball. It got batted down. Do you remember the play? I don't know if that pocket was necessarily worth leaving, but in Fields' defense, there have been a lot of pockets that didn't seem worth leaving until he got cranked from behind and suddenly it was a forced fumble. Like, in Fields' defense, the last last week when he stepped up to deliver the ball over a crosser, Braxton Jones got beat so quickly that the ball got tipped out of his hands and that's how we got our fumble. So I can tell Fields is a bit embattled right now with his, like, the timer in his head, so to speak, where the timer in his head goes off and he says to himself, I actually have no idea if the pocket's clean or not but my head tells me i should get out of here and see if i can make a play with his legs i wouldn't it wouldn't surprise me if it's going to take another 10 15 games honestly for him to kind of settle down and appreciate a clean pocket as a clean pocket if only because right now he's finally getting to the point where he's saying i gotta go or i'm gonna get sacked and it's gonna take some figuring out whether or not he needs to limit that impact right but I don't know. I can just envision how tough it is for Fields when when he does something right, sometimes his receivers don't catch the ball. When he does nothing wrong, sometimes he gets sacked anyways, and everybody goes, sacks are a quarterback stack. Come on, that sucks, Justin. Sometimes when he dodges one rusher, a second one's there, and he dodges that rusher, and a third one's there, and he goes down for a sack, right? It's it's messy playing quarterback within this system and he's learning a new system to boot but i don't know i can i can only envision how tough it is just not even for us lauren but like actually being justin fields and the team working with fields to try to assess okay so i know it feels like you did the wrong thing you did nothing wrong there we want you to do that again every time your teammates let you down no you did that one wrong justin we don't want you to do it that way wait but isn't that the same as the one that you said i did nothing wrong no it was different because you know what i mean yeah, it's like I think for Fields, it's like you're trying to like hone in on like, OK, held on to it too long here. Maybe got rid of it too quick here. And, and like slowly you bring that left right spectrum of like too long and too quick back towards the middle. Right. OK, too long here. That means I got to shorten it up. Oh, I was too short there. It means I got to lengthen it up. But maybe it's getting a little less too long and a little less too short. And over time, eventually you 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 move the bounds of too long and too short into the middle to where you find this this sweet spot of like a better general feel of when you need to get out quickly and when you can afford to stay in there. And right. there's always going to be mistakes and you know aberrations on both sides through that process. But the, the goal being that over time you get closer and closer to that sweet spot. And it felt like this Vikings game was the closest to the sweet spot we've seen through his entire career up to this point. Absolutely. I mean, microanalyzing rookie quarterbacks is just part of the, the way it goes, right? Yeah. But it's funny because just to use an example for every Bears fan that watched this game, I don't think there are any Vikings fans that are furious with Kirk Cousins for not drifting to the left inside the pocket that Travis Gibson was able to work around and create the incompletion on when he tipped his hand back. I mean, it's just not what you do for somebody like Kirk. When Kirk gets sacked, you blame the offensive line. You blame the protection. You wonder where his hot route was. You don't necessarily say, oh, this is definitely the quarterback's fault, and here's why. Because Kirk is traditionally good at avoiding really bad sacks. So there is a point where Fields earns the benefit of the doubt from us 
and we can relax on some of this stuff. But I think you'd agree, Lauren. We're kind of still in the midst of figuring out even what Justin Fields thinks that his pro game is going to look like because we know his college game, just as is, isn't quite enough. And so as he solves that riddle, as he figures out what his answers are to certain situations. How's Fields going to beat the Blitz? At one point today, it looked like Ed Donatel sent a Blitz and Fields found Cole Komet on a slant route for 10 yards and a quick ga- er, and a quick first down on like second and 16 or something. I can't remember. It might have been like second and 10. That's great. I mean, the Bears hitting anything over the middle is awfully good, and the Bears hit a couple of those today. So it's nice to see this offense growing a little bit. I know it sometimes sounds like we over-focus on the offense, but I also think you'd agree with me in that there's only so much we can say in a post-game about the defense because we don't get the whole picture. So we can see all offensive players, at least off the snap, but on defense, we don't really know. <laughs> like, Especially since you and I are trying to follow the ball, right? Yeah. Yeah, especially you know when when you can you can try and figure out the coverage pre-snap based on alignment where there's where the corners are. Unless you get a good replay, you're you're just guessing until we can see it from that wider view. I, I can't help but wonder though, like if if Fields would have had these same opportunities in this game, had the Bears not fallen behind twenty-one to three. Mm-hmm. Like not that I'm in no way saying oh it was good for them that they fell behind twenty-one to three, but if the if the defense plays better in this game and the Bears are within three to seven points for most of it. Mm-hmm. Do they stick with the running game the way we've seen them do through the first four games and try and force it to work despite it not producing all that well, at least with the, with the backs under three yards of care each, or, you know, would they still, would they, would they recognize that the running game wasn't working and just keep opening things up passing wise? I, I just wonder if, if the, the deficit on the scoreboard combined to both force the bears to be more aggressive and maybe also force the Vikings to be more conservative and both, were beneficial for fields in this game that doesn't doesn't erase any of the progress that we're saying. I'm just more curious, like yeah, the defense struggling almost help fields individually, even if it hurt the Bears clearly. And hey, I'll throw the other option out there too, Lauren. Did the run finally not working actually break a passing game out that we haven't seen before? I mean, yeah. up until this point in the season, outside of San Francisco, which was just a total mess, right? If at any point you, let's say that you got inside of Luke Getzey's headset and you said, why are we running it so much? He would have spat back to you. Why wouldn't I run the ball? We're picking up six yards of carry. What do you right. want from me? There's no problem with this. We're winning, Lauren. Like, it's it's hilarious watching this team because we even saw this in New York. They were having success in uh, like within the running game. And today, they didn't have much they in fact most of their runs went for massive losses I, I do object by the way to leaving an edge unblocked on a bootleg fake that you toss the ball because I don't think the fake is quite quick enough and I think that that play design that's one of those where I think if you ran it in practice and Travis Gibson was told hey play this normally he would have blown it up too and you probably wouldn't have run it in a game just saying but um Outside of stuff like that, the Bears' run game was still not doing anything, and so finally they passed it because they had to. So it it does make you wonder, Lauren, we have seen that the Bears' staff doesn't trust the passing game. I think it's hard to look at the first three games of the season, especially uh, week two, week three, and week four, and say that the Bears trust their passing game. The question just becomes, is it that they don't trust fields, or is it that they don't trust the offensive line? And I don't know if we have a great answer to that. Obviously, Sam must have forgot his lunch eaten by the Giants last week. So maybe there's an answer in there. But this week, all the same, we saw an extra dimension of the offense that, to your point, whether it was scoreboard, whether it was the run not working, it doesn't really matter. Uh, It got forced to show up, and it did show up. And hopefully it allows for the or to, for future defense to, to, to play the Bears a little bit more even keeled. I mean, obviously, there's a lot of reasons to like what the Bears have going for them in this next week. I feel like home teams on Thursday night always have an edge. But we're going to have to see, aren't we? Yeah, to your point, like, do they trust the offensive line? Do they trust their receivers? Like, it was a lot easier for them to trust their offensive line against a four-man rush in Minnesota that yep. you're just not going to get those extra blitzes and... Yeah, you know, like Zadarius Smith and Dylan Hunter are both very good, but they're not Nick Bosa good. You know what I mean? So right. it's like I don't want this to be trashing the Vikings' talent, but just schematically, this was a more favorable time for this offensive line to be able to trust them a little bit more. Certainly, Washington next week, not a good secondary, but you know their strength is going to be on their defensive line. So we'll see how much how much they trust them again, and whether how much they trust 
Mir Smith Barset and Dante Pettis in that right. game as well. We'll see more Valus Jones too. And and if Nikhil Harry pops up too, do we just keep both Pettis and Smith Barset on the bench and roll with those four? That might be there's a lot that could change between now and Thursday, and it'll be fun to see how what kind of adjustments they make or if we see the same kind of first half and it's all second half adjustments again next week too. We'll see. I'll be the first to tell you that I am actually a little on the flabbergasted side that on Valus is like I mean, he must have had like five offensive snaps. And so when they pulled him across the field, I am a bit stunned once I saw Valus caught that pop pass that the Vikings hadn't seen it coming. It felt right. a little on the predictable side, but but it worked, and I don't care. If you had final thoughts on the game, Lauren, what you got? Yeah, I mean, I my the last thing I keep taking away is like, no, it's not, it's not a moral victory, but it is pro- progress in the most important way of, of Justin Fields, and that's really what this whole season has been about, that the wins and the losses, relatively speaking, won't matter for much outside of draft position. We, ne- we knew the playoffs were never going to be in the mix, but this was as good of a Justin Fields performance that we've seen all season and, and through his career and uh, progress of like this passing game coming together in this new offense with new receivers, new system, new offensive line. That's really impactful and meaningful. And you can build off of this for future games and look back and say, Hey, like proof of concept, this passing game can work. And we've seen that the running game in previous games can work. And so like all the pieces are there enough to put a well-rounded offensive performance together, just, easier said than done actually doing that at the same time. But I think it's, it's still, it's still progress there and a reminder of this team's identity as a second half team that can make good defensive adjustments, can get the offense going. And that feels like a lot, how a lot of these ball games are going to be. They're never going to be blown out. Really. They're always going to have the ball with a chance to make it a one possession game late in this game or a chance to come back and win or take the lead. And that's just the identity of this team through and through. Absolutely. And I mean, this team is feisty as hell. They put in a lot of effort. They made great adjustments, whatever they talked about at halftime. Like, clearly they just got a, got a hold of one of those bottles of Michael Jordan's secret stuff from Space Jam because they came out on fire, and I'm all about it. I feel like the biggest takeaway from this game has to be Fields. And what I will say, Lauren, is this. Okay, so there's a player that Fields has reminded me of. Not literally, because it's not a quarterback, but a bear named Anthony Miller that I loved. I loved all the way through him leaving the team because every time he got on the field and ran a route, it was sweet. I mean, Anthony Miller could cut with the best of them. He could get open with the best of them. And while he wasn't a great blocker, I wasn't needing him to be. So why didn't he take off in Chicago? Well, there are a lot of off-the-field reasons that suggest why, but I have to bring him up because while I have loved watching Fields and while I have known that Fields had this kind of player in him, there's a point where you looked at Anthony Miller and said, this guy's never broken 400 yards. Why are you excited about him? Like, and Fields' statistics were starting to get to a point, And I know there are tons of out there that just don't care about talking about stats, especially in an offense this badly. But it was getting hard to find a quarterback that had been successful at any point in the league that was chucking out 88 yards a game, that was chucking out 92 yards a game, that was throwing 112 in a pick on 22 pass attempts. Like, it was getting bad out there, Lauren. And so it's silly, it's simple, but something like 208 yards and a TD is the kind of result you would expect of a quarterback that actually has a shot to be successful. I mean, then you bring the context in, right? You say not only did he play really well, but per Aaron Lemming, Bears quarterback Justin Fields accounted for 255 yards out of the team's total 288 yards. So Fields was kind of the whole offense today and still had a performance that was fairly successful by all notes. And so you look at this and and I think truly this is the it it is it matches the eyes to what the paper needs to say to end up with a good quarterback because it's hard to have an outrageously good quarterback without somebody like Patrick Mahomes who on a bad year throws 4800 yards. Like I'm by no means saying that Patrick Mahomes is going to be, or that like Justin Fields is going to be Patrick Mahomes, but I'll use another stupid example. There was a point where the Raiders gave Derek Carr absolutely no help whatsoever. And surprise, surprise, that's the year that Darren Waller caught for 1,600 yards because Derek Carr was not going to be denied a 4,000 yard season. He's just too good a quarterback for that. And so I know. Talking about statistics and almost like inverse engineering statistical conversation is. An extremely weird 
method of evaluating a quarterback, but there was a point where the silly numbers people trot around on Twitter did need to match the, the, the idea that Fields was getting better. And this is a very baseline performance if you were going to look at like Josh Allen's 2019 season, where he ended the year with 3,108 3, yards. 208 yards doesn't necessarily put Fields on track for that, but all he's got to do is scoop up like a 300-yard game against the Vi- or the Lions, whose defense is awful, and he'll redeem some of the more poor performances that he had in the Packers uh, season and end up with a similar stat line. Again, it's not that I'm too heavy on these stats, Lauren, but I know you know what I mean, that there are players out there where you look at them and you say, oh, but they're going to get there, and then they don't because their stats were just never close. And so to see a performance like this, whatever way that it came, makes me a lot more upbeat and at the very least is going to allow me, or like it it helps me breathe a bit as we go through talking about this stuff, you know? Yeah, it was a lot of like, woulda, coulda, shoulda, he's gonna, it's going to happen. Like it's all there, the pieces are there, the talent is there. But at some point you have to like remind everyone and show it and actually like live up to that. And I I think you're right that we can we could spend years saying like oh it's almost there and it's almost going to keep coming together and it if it, it it sometimes it just never does and this was a good example of it starting to in a way that's very concrete and measurable yep absolutely well lauren thanks so much for coming aboard tell us about locked on bears what can we or what can we wait for next <laughs> yeah of course locked on bears is here for you 5 days a week on youtube or wherever you find your podcast we'll be breaking out today's game and it's a quick turnaround for, for the Commanders week, so we're going to kind of have to condense. We'll get an all-22 breakdown in there, too, and then we'll start previewing the Commanders game right after that and be good to go. It's 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 a whirlwind for all of us here. I'm sure you'll be experiencing that, too. The short weeks are so bad. <laughs> like, I, it's exciting that we get more Bears football quickly, but as far as, like, a tempo and whatnot, it is, okay, you get a short week to pound everything you normally would out, and then, boom, we're on to the Commanders game that night. You got another podcast, and then you're going to review the film, like, over the weekend, and it's... It's a whole mess, but honestly, it's a mess that I am down for because the last time the Bears played on Thursday night, oh boy, was it the uh, was it the 2020 like game against the Buccaneers? Were they on Thursday night last year? I don't, I, I don't think I thought. I feel like it was prime time, but I don't remember if it was Thursday night. I don't remember. I don't either because if it was, if Thursday night was the last time they hosted the Buccaneers, that game was crazy, and and I will take a little bit of crazy. That was the one where they won against or with Nick Foles against uh, against TD Tom. But either way, everybody, hang with us. We will be here all week. Thanks so much for checking in. Bear down, and thanks so much for bearing with me. <laughs> <laughs>